you know, you can you can be slogging through your private lessons. Uh, maybe you're really enjoying it, uh, and th that's uh, you know giving you enough motivation to to keep playing and stay excited about music. But I think the thing for me that keeps people motivated is actually having the experience of playing with other people. So I think, yeah, whether it's putting yourself in a chamber group or creating a, a little jam session um, or going to a jam session that already exists, um, putting yourself in the experience of actually making music with other people is what is gonna keep you motivated to, to continue playing because there's nothing better than that. And um, all the practicing in the world um, you know, it doesn't really serve for anything until you actually put that into practice and, and show that, that what all the technique stuff that you're working on is actually going towards the greater goal of making music. Um, and you can't, you can do that solo, but it's way more fun to do it with other people. Welcome to String Sessions, the Music Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Farrar, and it is my pleasure to introduce our very first guest here, the international folk cello star Natalie Haas. As you'll hear in the episode, Natalie and I are both graduates of Juilliard, and Natalie has toured the world as a recording, performing, and teaching artist within the folk music world for close to two decades now. She and Scottish fiddler Alistair Fraser have toured the world as a duo, and she has been a guest artist on over 100 albums. She is one of the most sought-after touring cellists in the world right now, and in this first conversation on the show, we talked about the ways that fiddle camps helped to shape the musician she's become, how they differ from classical music camps, and some of her thoughts on motivating and helping young artists develop. This is our inaugural episode, so if you enjoy it, I really hope you'll take the time to subscribe share it with friends, and leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We have a lot of exciting things planned for the show, including practice challenges, Q&As with artists, and much more. So stay tuned and check out our website at musicparentpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. So thank you so much for joining us. And Natalie, thank you so much for uh, being one of our first guests on this podcast. It is really lovely to have you here and to be able to talk to you about all this. Yay, thank you so much for having me. So I have, you know, kind of introduced a little bit of your fantastic background and how, you know, diverse your musical career is. But can you just tell us a little bit in your own words about, you know, what your what your career as a professional cellist looks like, what all the, the pieces are there in play for you um, in your in your work? Yeah, well, um... I, you know, as you know, took a very not uh, traditional path in, in uh, straying a little bit from the classical music world after leaving conservatory. And um, so I have been playing folk music all my life, um, pretty much for as long as I have been playing classical music. And that's kind of where I ended up finding my niche. Um, so my working life um, looks... Uh, like mostly touring, which is is how I make the bulk of my income, um, touring with um, Scottish fiddler Alistair Fraser. And we've been touring as a duo for the last 23 years or something like that. Um, and uh, so that's really kind of uh, my main project. Um, we've put out like six or seven albums now. And uh, 
we spend most of the year on the road um, touring across the globe, mostly in the States, but some some stuff in Europe and Australia as well. And um, so that's the main project. And then I also am kind of a freelance artist. So I will um, when I'm, I'm not on the road with Alistair, I will kind of do work for higher stuff with um, kind of one off things um, that people ask me to be part of um, you almost all fiddle related and uh, and then there's a, a fair bit of my um, work that in, uh, consists of teaching and I do a lot of teaching at um, fiddle camps in the summertime um, which kind of take over my summers um, and then um, kind of large scale workshops. Um, I did a lot of online teaching during the pandemic, um, but I actually don't do that much in person one on one teaching. Um, I, I do have a few um, online students that way, but I, I'm kind of uh, living in a place where I don't have access to a lot of students right now. So I'm doing all, all of my um, one on one teaching in line online. Um, but then I, I yeah, I still do these fiddle camps. Um, I do multiple once every summer and kind of there's a few that are spread out through the rest of the year as well um, and then i do um, a, lot, a fair share of recording stuff as well um, most of which i'm able to do from home um, just kind of i have a very simple studio setup for doing overdubs on people's um, albums um, and yeah, yeah so so it's kind of a mix between um, touring playing concerts um, and then uh, recording and teaching Yes, absolutely. And and the, the teaching is within many different environments and around the world as well. So you have a, a very broad background of ages and, you know, sort of places that you are doing that teaching, which we'll get into a little bit. But you mentioned leaving conservatory, and I mentioned in the introduction that um, obviously you are a Juilliard graduate, as am I, and I know very well that you're a Juilliard graduate, as uh, you were my roommate. <laughs> so, so we we both know about our Juilliard careers, but uh, for, for other people, can you, so you started cello at what age? And kind of, you, you mentioned how you did come from a classical background. Obviously you went to Juilliard, you graduated from Juilliard. So you have that classical background as well. Kind of what was your, your experience of learning cello when you were younger, just kind of, you know, briefly. Yeah, well, I started when I was nine. So kind of on the late side for, for today. Um, my sister younger sister um started violin a year before i started cello and uh we were both suzuki kids and um did that up until the end of the suzuki books um and then i got a a teacher um who was not uh, suzuki based and um uh and I, I and then you know i i knew i wanted to pursue music um i think the reason I, I decided I wanted to go into music was not because I thought I would have a classical career, but because shortly after starting Suzuki, like a couple of years in, I discovered the world of fiddle camps and that sort of vastly changed my life and my musical direction. Um, so I was doing both um, from the age of 11 um, all the way up to the end of conservatory when I kind of stopped doing the classical thing as much. Um, so uh yeah going to fiddle camps during the summer and then you know uh playing classical music and chamber music and being in youth orchestras kind of through the year um so i had i led kind of a, a double life um and then uh yeah i knew i wanted to go into music but there weren't a lot of opportunities to study the kind of music i was interested in which was folk music in a university setting 
Um, hence why I decided to go to conservatory, um, because I knew I had a lot further to take my technique and repertoire and in the classical realm. So I thought I, I got into Juilliard. I, I, I probably should go. <laughs> and uh, I, did, I did apply to, to Berkeley College of Music, and they, they do have a, a non-classical program for strings, and they're one of the few that does. But um, it was much more jazz, rock uh based and i wasn't really as interested in, in those yeah yeah so in terms of uh because you were you were saying you have that unique perspective of the leading of a double life which i think nowadays i'm happy i think both of us are very happy to say is uh less of a big deal and more people are doing it and it's it's less of a thing but i i know certainly when i was growing up there was much more of a stigma against that within the classical world that I think now we've we've all seen that starting to change a lot. Um, mm. But in terms of for for maybe for parents or for kids who haven't been to a, a fiddle camp, uh, what would you? Because I've been and I, I love what Alistair's created and other people have created with with wonderful fiddle camps out there. What do you think some of the uh, advantages are? and why you continue to teach you were you were a student as you mentioned as a young person at fiddle camps and now you also you teach at those what are some things that you find unique about that or that you think are some of the strengths of that system yeah well each one is slightly different so it's it's hard to generalize them but i will say that um yeah i i, I went to my fair share of classical camps as a kid too so i really got a good um view of of how they were different and Fiddle camp is, well, like I said, it, it depends on the camp because um, I'm, I'm involved in four Alistair camps. Um, he's has kind of <laughs> uh, a lot of them throughout the whole world. And, uh, and his philosophy um, is to have all ages present and there are no additions, um, all levels as well. So it's kind of like a, um, a system where um the the more advanced players help the not so advanced players and you have adults and children learning in the same context and um it's also a different style of learning not only because of the learning by ear but also because it's very sort of mentor based um like you're um you know you you are able to form close relationships with actually your your heroes and teachers because you're all eating together you're um living in the same space for a week um and uh having this shared experience so there's not the same kind of hierarchy that there is in the classical world i know myself and my sister both benefit fitted incredibly from those kind of very close mentor relationships myself with with Alistair, who really, you know, uh, helped me not only with the learning process, but then also like gave me a gig to like now we to the world together. And same with Brittany, she had um, Daryl Anger and Bruce Molsky, who were both her mentors and gave her all sorts of gig opportunities, as well as teaching her and just being very involved in, in her whole musical life and, and caring a lot about her, her musical future. Not to say that that doesn't happen in the classical world, but I, I, I think there's less of this sort of, um, you know, just, uh, I'm not sure what the way to say that is, but, um, you know, that it, it, maybe there is some hero worship kind of going on too but it, it they're also you see them as humans they're not 
they don't have this godlike quality because um you know you're you're in this shared living experience together in the camp in in nature summer for a week um you know and it's kind of it's a very intense experience because you're you're going to classes and stuff during the days but at night there's all this jamming that happens up until the wee hours of the night and you're um you know sharing philosophy and and very intense conversations as well and that's what happens i think when you bring people from different walks of life and different ages together um and so so it's a really unique experience and um and for me, it was very motivating um, going to these camps because I found other people my own age who were, had the same interests as I did. And so it was, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I made some of my lifelong friends there. So I think it, it can really be great for a kid um, to, to discover sort of a, 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 an outlet like that where you um, meet people that have the same interests as you and that are your own age doing it and you're you know, um, maybe you're not at the same level of playing, but you find ways to, to make music together. Um, so yeah. it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. We could we could talk a lot more about just specifically kind of diving into that. But for the moment, I think that um, you, you mentioned, of course, being able to connect with mentors like Alistair and uh, and other people. In terms of, of cello teachers and cello mentors, I mean, one thing for people who may not be familiar as familiar with the, the folk music world um you are rather unique in what you do and i've mentioned that uh and i'm sure when people look you up for those who don't already know the awesomeness of your play when they do <laughs> they will see how unique you are <laughs> but because of that it does mean that there is a like a smaller niche for now i think I, i'm assuming although you are the one to answer me on this i, I assume that the, the cello niche has grown in terms of what you do and, and other people doing similar yet different things um, did yeah. you were there other cellists or other instrumentalists that you were looking up to that um that kind of you were able to model after or, or were you very do you see yourself already as just kind of out there and very different at that time because that's I mean I can imagine that would be hard as a, as a young person as a teenager to be like I'm playing an instrument that other people are not playing this way what mm. what was that experience like you know yeah I don't I don't know that I can remember that well but I do remember <laughs> that most of my mentors were fiddle players because there weren't <laughs> that many other cellists doing it I had one cello mentor who I had a couple of lessons with um Rashad Eggleston who's kind of mm -hmm. you know just a couple of years older than me really um uh, but there weren't that many people doing the things i wanted to be doing on the cello at that moment in time this is like the mid 90s when i started going to fiddle camps um you, there were other cellists playing it but not ones that really excited me musically that much but when i saw rashad uh, and and daryl also who's primarily a fiddle player but plays all sorts of instruments and I, I saw him playing something that was cello like <laughs> next to me in, in a fiddle class and also like had never seen anyone play like that before and was so inspired. Um, so yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't have that close a relationship with Rashad, but um, but I d was definitely hugely inspired by him. Um, and yeah, I think I just kind of went along with the flow, really, <laughs> like, I don't think I questioned it that much. I, I just um, yeah, there weren't cellists doing the kinds of things that, that Rashad was doing in Celtic music specifically. So I sort of had to, um, you know, do some groundbreaking there, but I, I didn't see it that way at the time. I, I just, 
you know, was going, I was just playing, playing with my friends and having fun and <laughs> figuring yeah. out what you could do on the cello in, in that style. And, uh, you know, and that's yeah. sort of, that's awesome. <laughs> I got where I am now. So when you are teaching then, because we've talked a lot about how sort of the, the, the camps give that sort of close um, mentorship, are there, there are things that you feel um, in your own private teaching that you've been influenced by, because clearly your technique, you know, you were, you were mentored by, by fiddle players, but in terms of technique, then you had private uh, cello teachers. And then of course you studied at Juilliard. Are there, are there elements of what your cello teachers or your violin fiddle mentors gave to you that are some of the more important things that you try to pass on to your students or, you know, things of that nature? What is your yeah. what is your favorite thing essentially to try to pass on to students is kind of what I'm asking. <laughs> well, it's interesting you should ask. I feel like as a teacher, I I did have wonderful teachers and mentors. Um, but mentors are sometimes more mentors than teachers, actually. And uh, I feel like that was the case in, in terms of Alistair. He's like incredibly knowledgeable but actually is better at motivating people and question causing them to question everything about themselves and and helping them to find their own voice as he says um rather than like giving you the nitty-gritty of actually how to do it on your instrument it's kind of like a, a self discovery um and you and to get there, it, the student has to be motivated. Um, and I was, um, you know, but that's not always the case. Um, so I feel like my job in a fiddle camp is different from my job as a, as a private teacher. Um, because in a fiddle camp, people, it's only one week of every year. And you're going to, to see your friends and have a good time. Um, but you're also going to learn. And but actually what you're really there for is to get motivated to continue playing um, throughout the rest of the year that, you know, maybe maybe you're not getting exactly what you want in your classical lessons, but you come to fiddle camp and then you have this amazing experience and you want to keep that energy throughout the rest of the year. Um, yeah, you, you want to load people up with excitement about making music um, with other people. And, and I think that that's one of the big things that fiddle camp does, because actually as a learning environment, you know, it's group, large group classes, and, and maybe that's not the best thing for everyone. Um, so, and, and some camps are different than others. Um, like Alistair's camps are very kind of, um, as I said, like about getting motivated, but also about learning repertoire and style, um, specifically to Scottish music. And there's, there's other cultures represented too, but then you go to like, the Mike Block camp, for example, his camp is is uh, different because it's a little bit um, more influenced by the classical music world. We have master classes there, but actually, what it's really about is playing and learning how to play in bands. And so you you get some repertoire um, and style stuff from from the different teachers that are there, but you also form a band with people that are at a similar level to you, um, and you actually have an experience of what it's like to create your own music, um, you know, in a, in a very um, professional kind of way and be getting coached by, by all the teachers. So um, yeah, so there, there are different camps, um, you know, different philosophies out there. Um, and depending on, on what you want there, you, you could be at a different fiddle camp every single week of the summer and multiple ones during every week of the summer. So yeah. <laughs> 
you really just have to decide what it is you want out of a camp experience and stylistically what excites you. And, and that's how I would choose personally. Um, but in terms of like getting better, you know, um, I think it's it's definitely better to have a private teacher for that or, or and it doesn't have to be somebody you see regularly. If you know, like I said, if you're a very self-motivated learner and you know what it is you want um, to, to work on in your own playing, you can seek out a person who can give that to you and get one lesson from them and get loaded up on stuff that you can work on on your own for months after that. Um, having a having a week to week teacher is, is a diff, different thing, you know, um, and that, that's why I don't do that as much, I think, because I don't know that I'm qualified to really help some, <laughs> um, you know, at that level of, uh, I, I, I do, I do have this one guy who I've been seeing uh, for like the last 10 weeks or so and um, but um, people who come to me generally come to me not because they want to get better at their instruments. They come to me because I have something unique stylistically to offer and they're and they want to know how to do it better. And yeah, and I think that that's as you're saying, some of that has to do with self reflection and, and knowing a what you or your child is in need of at that time, you know what I mean? Like if you are, if you know that either you have another teacher that can, you know, fill in that, that technique gap um, and, you know, that constant technique learning process. Cause I know both you and I are constantly working on our technique. There's no point when you're like, Oh, look, I am technically perfect now. But you know, if, if that's something where you already have that in place, but then there's something that you need out from out from the outside for another purpose, it's not one size fits all of one teacher for everything. And it shouldn't be. And I think that is something that is an important point of there's, there are so many pieces of this puzzle, you know, going to a going to a fiddle camp, one camp versus another, even though they're there can be both excellent can give very different experiences to a student of a different age of a different style um, and different goals, just like differing teachers can be either the right or not the right fit or you might need multiple in order to you know fit those blocks together and really have a, a holistic learning experience for you or your child or whoever it is that you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's really interesting perspective. And by the way, I'm just going to say right now, don't listen to anything that this woman says about her not being proficient <laughs> at leading people in week to week lessons. That's not true. She is most definitely. So uh, yeah, that, that is being included in the interview because no, you're not allowed to say <laughs> anything, anything else. Um, okay. Okay. I know that. <laughs> so you were, you were saying how you, you, you are bringing something stylistically, which is obviously extremely unique and something, you know, your technical proficiencies are, are unique in that way that you share with students, whether it's, you know, one off in a, in a camp or one off, you know, a few lessons or, or week to week with someone. Um, when people come to you, do you, what are some common misconceptions do you think about what people are looking for that, that you do or common misconceptions that people uh, think about what they're what you do or how they can learn it. Are there things that you're like, ah, I see we have this problem again. I will <laughs> <laughs> go to my toolkit to help them fix that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, I would say, actually, yeah, learning by ear is one that people mm. think they can get like that. And mm. I'm sorry, but it does not work that way. <laughs> um, yeah. It can be incredibly frustrating in the beginning for somebody who's coming to that. Um, 
I, I, I have to say, having done Suzuki, that that was a huge help. Um, yes, but if, yeah, you're, if, not, if you have not developed your ear in that way, then it's a huge leap to, to overcome. And it and it takes time and, you know, and can be very frustrating, especially if you're proficient on your instrument and you're and you you're not able to play back a phrase that somebody else plays to you. I mean, it's a, a very humbling experience at first and, and takes uh, time and, and uh, lots of repetition to get faster at it. Um, and so I think uh, a lot of people who are coming to that um, in a new way uh, <laughs> can get frustrated in the beginning. Um, other common misconceptions, I think, yeah, people um, often will come to me to, for for learning tunes and and that's one part of of what i do is is playing melodies folk melodies on the cello um and that and i will really start to harp on people's bowing choices because um that's a huge part of the style and and uh people you know hear a, a fiddle tune for the first time and they think oh that's cute <laughs> i can play that and they play the notes and they play the right rhythms and it doesn't sound anything like what it's supposed to because you're not doing the bowing uh, because that is like 80% of <laughs> of what makes the style sound like it like it should um so yeah i think just you know um some people bring some misconceptions to to folk music in that it's easy or that it's um yeah so you know it doesn't require a lot of technique um but actually to play fiddle tunes on the cello, it requires a huge amount of time. <laughs> yes, it so, does. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'll also then I have, you know, students from both uh, camps. I have people coming to me from the classical world who have never learned by ear before or and don't really um, appreciate the, the nuances of the style yet because they haven't really gone in deep. And then I also have people from the folk music world um, thinking that they should be able to play this stuff. But actually, if they don't know how to go into third position, they're kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so it, it's, uh, it's a little bit- Juggling both of those. <laughs> so, so kind of, I, I am curious. So let's say that there is someone who is, either they or their kid is like, oh my God, I've always loved Irish music or Scottish music or Hungarian music or whatever it is. Um, what is if they haven't learned by ear before or they just haven't played folk music before what are some some homework assignments or what are some of the first steps outside of getting a good teacher you know which is obviously a, a big part of it you need to have someone to help guide that learning process first and foremost but what else what do you think is is key for someone to kind of get dip their toe in yeah um it does help to have a teacher to to point you in the right direction and and you know make sure you're doing everything right but honestly I don't think you actually need a teacher on a week to week basis I think you need to do your listening homework number one um, yes. if you want to really immerse yourself in a style you need to do some serious listening uh, and having a teacher who can tell you what to listen to maybe is good but but if you're passionate about it maybe you're already doing the listening so then the next step from immersing yourself um, earwise is to actually then put fingers to instrument and try and copy what it is you're hearing and it's easier to do that these days that we have such amazing resources uh, through the internet at our disposal of all sorts of online teaching schools but also 
YouTube videos that you can slow down and um, amazing slow downers an amazing program best $50 you will ever spend in your life. And, you know, try, try and actually copy all of the little nuances stylistic nuances um, and trying to figure out how to get that into your fingers, both mm -hmm. right and left hand. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is listening and copying and then checking in with the teacher from now and then just to make sure you're on the right track, I think is a good idea. I will just add to that that I did that exact same thing. This is this does not just apply to folk music for for parents and for students out there. I did that as when I was a young person with chamber music when I would be given massive chamber music assignments of uh, quartets that I had to learn and I'd do it really quickly. And so I would listen to the recordings. We didn't have slow downers at that when I was your age. Um, and so I would have to go through and just literally I would listen to a four bar phrase over and over and over and over and over again to get what I thought their bowing was and what fingering to actually pull out where I thought they were on the instrument and be able to imitate that. So it is something that applies just as much to classical if you're trying when you're at a certain stage in your learning when you have a teacher who or you already have the technique to be able to do that sometimes then you just need to do that listening so that's yeah that's. Clearly, that is the same between folk and, and classical is the, the key to that. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's beautiful. Um, if you are, because I mean, sometimes I think probably there are there are parents listening to this who are th saying, wow, Natalie is amazing. And she was so self-motivated. And look at how amazing that is. How do you think your parent, like in, in your in your kind of experience as being a young person, how did your parents kind of help facilitate that? Are there things that you think they did right that helped you find that passion that sort of encouraged you to be able to find a place that you know, made you excited about this? Or, or what do you think are some of the things they did that helped? <laughs> or things yeah, you think well, other parents could do more of? <laughs> I mean, I, I was very lucky, like my mom didn't work. So she was 100% behind my sister and I, um, musically speaking, she came to all our lessons, she took notes, she held the camera, uh, video <laughs> camera, my second after the Suzuki lessons, the um, non Suzuki teacher required somebody to be there. Eventually, my mom got replaced by a tripod. <laughs> <laughs> but for many years, it was her physically holding the camera taking the notes. Uh, mm -hmm. But in the beginning stages, she would just make sure that we practiced, that we touched our instruments for, for 15 minutes a day, minimum, minimum, mm -hmm. uh, but that it happened every day. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we, there was some backlash there, but, um, but it, you know, definitely thanked her, <laughs> thank her for it now. Um, mm -hmm. Not only, you know, actually taking us to lessons, but also concerts, um, you know, chamber music practices, youth symphony, like just um incredibly supportive and, and wanting us to be and fiddle camps i mean she came to the camps with us not playing any instrument um to make sure we went to bed at night so that we would be up for classes in the morning. <laughs> but actually i actually ended up missing out on a lot of what actually is the good stuff about fiddle camp which happens after class um but anyway uh no both yeah my dad incredibly supportive financially and also just being there at all of our concerts you know with a smile on and they weren't stage parents but my mom uh was is very motivated um and you know was uh really kind of in a quandary when when i was trying to decide whether or not to go to music school and she just reached out to all of the musician professional musicians um she knew um 
mostly through the camps, um, just to ask them what, what their thoughts on, on colleges were and um, was always, you know, in my corner. And so I, I couldn't thank her and my dad enough for, for being that supportive. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that in the beginning, I, I, I can't remember this honestly, because I was pretty young, but uh, as a Suzuki parent, you know, that parents are, are, are very involved. So I'm sure my mom was there making sure I was doing everything three times until I got it perfectly and blah, 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 <laughs> and all that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's anything she did that I, that wrong that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I yeah, think, and I think what you're emphasizing is that, like, that being involved, just just being there and being that support for what yeah. you then discovered you loved about it, while also kind of saying, at least 15 minutes, <clears throat> even <laughs> on the days you didn't feel like doing it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is wonderful. What, you know, you have an incredibly busy life, which I know is your friend. Um, we, we both have, we have to schedule our friend phone calls as well because of <laughs> all the, the craziness of the musical world and the, the lives that we lead. But what are, what motivates you? Um, it's kind of two questions, so you can answer both or either. Mm-hmm. Uh, what motivates you? most about your career as a professional musician? That's kind of question one. And then question two is what motivates you the most? What do you enjoy most about teaching? Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, Motivation in my career. I mean, I I am pretty damn lucky, I have to say, to get to travel the world doing what I do and giving concerts and, you know, seeing the joy on people's faces um, during and and after. and I, that's one, another thing that I love about folk music is just just how much joy there is in it, and and it's definitely a shared feeling in the room um, when you're giving a concert, or not even in a concert setting, like in a jam, uh, and you have, you know, there's a shared experience between the musicians, but also between the musicians and everybody else who's there in the room with you. Um, some, some kind of very special energy uh, transfer going on that is is very cool to be a part of um, motivating. Um, I mean, yeah, that that feeling of, of a shared experience um, through through music is is a big motivator getting to travel and see the world and meet people um, and meet other musicians actually from other cultures and kind of share a little bit of, of what they do and a little bit of what you do and um, making music together and, and collaborating and um, uh, having something unexpected grow out of that is pretty amazing and um also making new music because I'll, uh, that's a big part of what i'm doing now is is composing and arranging and um yeah the joy of kind of um having your own music be the thing that that uh speaks through you um is pretty special rather than you just being a conduit for for somebody else's music um yeah. Uh, so, and then the other question, um, what do I enjoy most about teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find it very, I mean, it depends on the situation, but um, in most cases, I find it energizing, um, and, you know, kind of sharing your passion with somebody else who is also passionate about it um, and getting nerdy on the stuff that only 
we as musicians could really care about and uh, and sharing that with somebody else <laughs> is uh is pretty special um you know and uh yeah i mean i i, I teach actually mostly adults um and um so it's but it's the same i think you know um whereas you know they're, they're probably it's maybe not their first time having that experience but uh, um i'm sure that's very doing it with kids but um what i like uh is yeah just um having having these shared moments making because actually a lot of the playing the kind of teaching i do is rather than me playing something and you playing it back although online teaching that's that's all it is <laughs> but when you're in the same room whether it's a group or it's just two of you face to face um making music together um, is the ultimate goal, actually. And so whatever you've been working on the lesson, um, kind of actually putting it together and uh, seeing sort of all the wheels turning and, and them actually putting into practice what it is you've been talking about. And um, and it's different for every person. Like that's that's what I love about the kind of music I play is that you get to really see each student and players creativity coming out um i'm giving i'm feeding them ideas but but um you know general topics but but the ideas the music idea musical ideas are coming from them and uh and with each person it's a little different so um i love to you know share my knowledge and then see where they go with it um because it's yeah. going to be different person and and yeah seeing them get to express themselves is it's yeah, a beautiful thing. Yeah. That is really lovely. Is there any piece of advice I always like to, to end with? Is there any advice or like, I don't want to call it words of wisdom that makes it seem very intimidating indeed. But um, <laughs> is there any advice that you'd want to leave uh, students or their parents with as something that you think is important to keep in mind or to do more of? Um, as as you're kind of continuing this musical journey. Yes. Um, well, one thing that I learned at Fiddle Camp is that um, you know you can you can be slogging through your private lessons. Uh, maybe you're really enjoying it, uh, and th that's uh, you know giving you enough motivation to to keep playing and stay excited about music. But I think the thing for me that keeps people motivated is actually having the experience of playing with other people. So I think, yeah, whether it's putting yourself in a chamber group or creating a, a, a little jam session um, or going to a jam session that already exists, um, putting yourself in the experience of actually making music with other people is what is gonna keep you motivated to, to continue playing because there's nothing better than that. And um, all the practicing in the world, um, you know, it doesn't really serve for anything until you actually put that into practice and, and show that, that what all the technique stuff that you're working on is actually going towards the greater goal of making music. Um, and you can't, you can do that solo, but it's way more fun to do it with other people. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely could not agree more. I think that is so, so beautiful and very, very beautifully spoken. So thank you for, for saying that. And Natalie, I, I want to let you go just for this first interview. I'm sure that we will have you on again to talk about this. There's so many other things that we could explore in terms of what you do and um, how you help students and adults and everybody in between 
all of us, all of us in the musical world. So I thank you for your time and I will, uh, yeah, be exciting to talk to you next time. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I can't wait to uh, explore the rest of this podcast. <laughs> That was a fantastic first conversation, and I really appreciated what Natalie had to say about the importance of playing with others. Music is something that we certainly do need to learn and study alone at times. And we also have the help of teachers and recordings, YouTube videos, all the amazing technologies that make music learning so accessible and wonderful these days. But in the end, music is meant to be played with one another and for one another. As a member of the New Jersey Symphony, and a chamber musician as well as a folk musician, there's really nothing like sitting down with my colleagues and getting to play Mozart or Mahler for people. And when I was a kid, the memories that are really the most vivid for me from my time at the Perlman Music Camp are the ones where I was playing chamber music rehearsals and concerts with my mentors and friends, and how motivated I was to prepare for those experiences. If you're a parent looking for ways to help your child look forward to their lessons or to playing an instrument, or if you're a young player or an adult who's looking for a bit more motivation yourself, I would really encourage you to look for ways that music can be played with others in a chamber group, a chamber orchestra, or just a way to sit down and play music with others near you. I've included some links in the show notes because there are really so many organizations and camps of all different lengths and types that happened during the summer, that happened during the year. There are a lot of people out there playing music that you can get together with, no matter what your age or your skill level. And I really think that it is the key to our musical educations and our enjoyment. If you have questions for any of these things, or if you just want to reach out to me and talk about the show or music, you can find me most easily on Instagram. I am at Joanna Ferrar 802 I live in Vermont, so if you're wondering, our area code is 802. And let me know if you have questions for future guests or thoughts on the show or anything else. And you can also check out our website at musicparentpodcast.com. So www.musicparentpodcast.com. Or my personal website, joannaferrar.com. For now, enjoy your time with music, and I will see you next time.